do I need to be doing a catering company in a restaurant? Probably not. But I get a lot of enjoyment out of both of them. And it's loads of fun. And it's a different world. And if I was doing neither of those things or just one of them, I'd be longing for that interaction or that mentality or that mindset of what I'm missing. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to a chef who seems to pop up in all kinds of places doing very interesting things. Petros Delitas is a Melbourne chef who I've seen in restaurants. I've seen at the Royal Melbourne Show, leading judging there. Uh, And if I was to sneak my way into some footy team kitchens, I would see him there as well. He is the chef director of Adonis Catering and the head chef of Epoca in Carlton. Petros, welcome to Daddy Linen. Thanks so much for having me. Um, It's really nice being on this side now when I normally listen to you guys in the kitchen. Well, we love hearing about people listening to the podcast in the kitchen, um, helping people with their prep and, yeah, connecting people in the industry who perhaps don't get to spend a lot of time in the same room. So, yeah, it's, thank you for – thanks for putting us on there. Um, yeah, Petros, introduce yourself when – you know, how do you describe what you do because there's so much going on. Uh, look, I'm someone who gets bored very quickly and easily, so I have to do lots of things – to keep me uh, stimulated and excited constantly. And then I like do this thing where I do too much and I have far too much on my plate and then um, sort of semi-regret it for about half a second and then I remember, no, actually this is fun. It's fun bouncing between a catering company. It's fun bouncing between a restaurant. It's fun doing all these different things because these are the things that I set myself up for years ago. Like I wanted to do – I wanted to have multiple uh, diverse and multiple, you know, different skill sets through my career, I didn't want to just be stuck as being a restaurant chef because I just kept hearing from all the pastry chefs and all the catering chefs that there's a different world out there. You start doing all those extracurricular things that you put your hand up for as an apprentice and doing all these external events and you actually find out that there's a whole big, beautiful world of our industry that that isn't always – you know, you, you, when you're so focused in the restaurant world, you stay in the restaurant world. You don't actually veer out and you don't look outwards, but you go out and do, I don't know, the Starlight Foundation events, or you go and do Formula One Grand Prix or Spring Racing Carnival. There's a whole different big bad world of catering and what else can be done in the industry. And that leads, and those possibilities, opportunities up you up to do other things, you know, without doing, um, extracurricular stuff when I was an apprentice at the press club, I wouldn't have found out how to do cookbooks or how TV shows are produced and sit in the background and stuff and, and see how that world goes on. Cause that's a whole different beast as well. That's so interesting, Petros, because uh, you know, I think we talk to a lot of chefs and I think a lot of people only, I guess, realize that there are so many different pathways in hospitality later in their career. I mean, do you think it's just the fact that you were at press club and there were so many other things going on that opened it up for you early on? Or was, is that just you, you know, your nature to keep, um, I guess, you know, opening doors and, you know, poking your head through and seeing what's going on? Yeah, the, the latter. Um, I always wanted to stick my head in and see what was happening. Um, I've always known I wanted to own a business. I've always known, like the second I, I, I from about 14, 15 years of age, I knew I wanted to cook the rest of my life. I was totally in it from the get-go, and I think I did work experience at RSCV Club, and then I was like, well, I came home from that two weeks, and I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. So the second that happened, I didn't – I finished year 12 – I was offered to not finish year 12 and thankfully I stayed at high school. Um, But I finished off high school and pretty much like, I think I did my last exam and I was at work at RSCV club like three days later. So like when, 
went straight into it. And even then, like just before my apprenticeship started, they had no spot for me at RSCV club in the kitchen. Um, it was like the only time they were actually staffed. <laughs> so they, were, they, uh, they said to me, Petros, you want to do purchasing? And I said, what's, what's purchasing? So I sat in the office and I did purchasing for a couple of weeks and that made me understand the ordering systems and everything, how, how a big hotel manages ordering for, you know, 10, 12 outlets through one little office and how all the produce comes in and, you know, beverage and everything as well. So it's, ah, yeah. So right from the beginning, you saw that there were different aspects to, to this world. I mean, what was it, those two weeks of work experience, you know, what about it made you realise this is what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? Uh, the buzz of service, the camaraderie, the constant um shit talking between stuff, <laughs> the banter, I suppose. Uh, you know, it was just, it felt really good and it felt right. And I don't know what was like, I, it wasn't my first, um, that, that two weeks of work experience wasn't my first understanding of the industry. Like by this stage, I was already at my brother's pizza shop in Diamond Creek for a few years. And then, uh, so I, I already liked the buzz of service. I already liked the adrenaline rush of service. I already enjoyed all those things. I just didn't know. I just didn't have any direction towards honing in towards certain skills and, and skill sets. And how did things progress through your apprenticeship and, and beyond? Um, I, some, I jumped straight into doing competitions as an apprentice, because obviously at RSCV club, they, you know, or hotel like atmospheres, you get thrown into competitions and stuff. As long as you can write a really good application, you'll probably get yourself into most competitions at the time. But we did, I was doing a lot of them at the time and just, again, just opening networks and opening doors and just making myself known to people. Um, I wasn't the best cook in the, in the, in the lineup hardly ever, but it was more that I was just opening up, getting myself out there and creating my own little network. And as, as you said earlier, just popping up and being involved. Mm, so interesting. And so w- did you qualify w- while you were at press club? Uh, I got pushed. I, so I got, so <laughs> I was about a year into my apprenticeship. I did the Daryl Cox, which was the last Daryl Cox that happened. So Daryl Cox Memorial for, for 20 years was the um, cooking apprentice cooking competition in Victoria. It was the run by the the Australian Hotels Association. Now you jog on my memory. Um, and then a whole heap of chefs that we know of now has been definitely been involved in it. So the George Calabara, Shane Delia, Shannon Bennett, all these guys, you know, the list continues. But for a t- good 20 solid years, apprentices who went through hotels all were involved in this competition. Adrian Richardson, uh, Sean Wade, I think. Scott Wade? Sean Wade. I can't remember his name. Um but they were all involved in it. I did that. And then through that, George Calambaras at the time was in between uh, one Fitzroy street and press club, I think. And he sort of coached us for that three or four weeks before the competition. And then once the competition happened, he said, I'm opening up a Greek restaurant. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Sounds good. So I followed him there. There was, and it was my first, um, you know, talk about baptism by fire. Like it was understanding, you know, the the safety net of a hotel group with all these chefs and staff around you to cover your sick day, to give you annual leave whenever you wanted, um, endless people to talk to, a HR department, all these things where the safety net is what I refer to is gone. So now you're in the restaurant world, you plunged in there, baptism by fire, a lot of buzz around press club at the time um, in 2006, 2007. Um, obviously this is pre-master chef as well. So this is, you know, around the time where 
it was the, the industry was very much at its organic stage of how news got out. You know, I was vividly remember reading about John, you know, John Lethlin and Matt Preston writing articles, you know, in the Epicure 15 plus years ago, 20 years ago. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a different world to what we have now. You know, there's no social media. There's, um, there isn't, there isn't, there's my definitely isn't food podcast going. So, <laughs> or any podcast in general. So it's, yeah, it's a different world completely. And yeah, I jumped into press club and stayed there for about seven years. I worked my way around the company. And then from press club, I went to Maha. By this stage, Maha went to, or Maha broke away and Shane and George parted ways. And Shane used to say at the time, I, he got me in the divorce, like the little puppy dog. <laughs> I followed him. <laughs> Um, and then exclusively for two years for Shane, all I did, and this was, you know, going back to career pathways, all I did for Shane was all of his external stuff. So all of his, um, Shane Dillier Spice Journey on SBS, we did three series of that, the cookbook that resonated from that, all the Western Bulldog stuff, Mercedes stuff, Eddie Had Stadium, Spring Racing Carnival, Roland by Shane Dillier. All that stuff was done in, in that realm. So I was barely in the restaurant. If I was, I was there for a couple of days at a time. Um, doing a la carte service, but the rest of it, I was like Shane's man on the ground to, you know, get all, get all the recipe development done and all that stuff. You know, you know, you got 30, 30 recipes to do for every um, TV series of Spain, Morocco or Turkey or Lebanon, Iran, whatever. And that's, you know, pretty involved. And there's a lot of recipe testing happening when we when Shane came back and that's, and then those recipes became dishes that we did for all these events as a like sort of cross promotion of all these different things that Shane had going on. So, and his brand. Wow. I mean, you paint such a good picture of that time in uh, rest in the restaurant world and also how many different things you were able to do. And I mean, I guess as you were doing all that stuff for Shane and the TV shows and all that, that was that period where, yeah, MasterChef came on, came online, social media geared up. I mean, the, the, it, it was actually a real change in the landscape and the way that people found out about stuff and communicated around food generally, wasn't it? Absolutely. Hugely. Like, look, it's, we could all say now it's a lot better. Not to, to say it wasn't, it was bad back then, but it was, it's definitely the, the, the industry has progressed in, a, you know, obviously really quickly, but obviously in a, in a way that's, that we're all, you know, still enjoying it. Like it's, you know, it's not a forgiving business. Let's let's be let's be honest. Like we're all, you know, it's, you know, it's um, it's great to go on to the days of eighteen-hour days of, you know, not seeing your family and doing six, seven days a week and on on end like it was. Well, again, I make myself make myself sound old when I was an apprentice <laughs> to be that guy. <laughs> but the it's really good to just um, look to to be able to spend time with families and stuff. I always wondered. I, I, even I thought as an apprentice, like watching George and Shane and, and, you know, all these other chefs that I was working with back then, like, is this sustainable for their lives? Like, I understand they're chasing money and they're chasing, you know, to keep investors and everyone happy and to keep their own, um, mental, their, their career stimulated and their mental capacity to want to earn and for their, whether it be monetarily or for their business. I, but is it sustainable to do these hours in the thirties and forties and fifties? So obviously you meet you meet a whole heap of people in your in your life and your career, and it's horses for courses, Danny. So it's like you know either you do want to keep doing those hours, you know, I, it's 
you either talk about you either keep yourself in that life and miss out on other things, or you do it for a few years and you experience other things as well. So it's, you know, it's up to, you know, you can make your own, make your own mind up about it and what your own certain, your own personal uh, journey is for it. But did you always have this view that, that that sort of intensity, that prolonged intensity was not the path that you wanted to go down? Uh, no, look, I come from a very European family, European background. You know, you always have time for your family. You always maneuver how it's going to work. Now, obviously I run a catering company right now that involves me to be there 40, 50 hours a week. And it also involves me to run a restaurant in Dupaka doing 30 to 50 hours a week. And, you know, gratefully in this day and age, I can do a lot of the stuff that I have to do off the, off my phone. Um, and, and just because I've got really good staff in both spaces from Cranbourne to Carlton, um, I've managed to be able to keep them both somehow going. <laughs> um, so I need, but per, for my personal self, it's more about as much as it's about really good staff around you and really good people around you. It's more about that. I need to keep what I do for Adonis. I can't do at Epoca. I can't roast the duck leg. I can't, sorry, I can't roast. I can't, there's no point in me ordering great ocean road ducks at Cranbourne for Adonis catering because my athletes won't get it. My athletes are, um, as much as I love them, are big children. And so, you know, spaghetti bolognese and poached chicken and brown rice and sweet potato and broccoli is all they're really going to want to eat. Now, as I can tweak things and change things up for them and do a healthy version of chicken, a chicken parmigiana. I can do uh, – I can make ricotta gnocchi for them till I go bull in the face. But I, it won't sustain my creative output for me to just do that only 12 months of the year and be happy. So you need more of that that sort of fine dining, produce-driven interest that you can get it. Yeah. I need handmade pasta in my life, Danny. (laughs) Yeah, I need to do that stuff. I need to, you know, bone out chickens, bone out fish, um, teach teach staff how to do that stuff as well, go through this process of, you know, still making jus and sauces over two, three, four days and all that fun stuff. Um, I've just managed to find now, obviously I'm a dad now, so it's a different world completely. Um, we have a little one, I have a wife, we have a house with his, you know, um, nurturing her and my wife as well uh, and my child as well. So, you know, and keeping all that little family going and then, you know, trying to involve them as much as possible. So it's, yeah, it's all, let's be honest, a lot of balls up in the air and, uh, you've got to get good at catching them. <laughs> yeah, well, which I'm sure you are. And speaking of catching balls, let's talk about the work that you do with sporting teams. So Adonis Catering looks after Carlton Football Club and Melbourne City uh, Football Club, soccer. Um, tell us about that. Like what are what is the role that you play there? So normally all AFL teams, whether they're interns or not, have dietitians. Um, throw in almost every other sporting team in the land as well. Um, whether they have budgets or not is a different story. But if Melbourne City Football Club, for example, they're my biggest client. So I've been their chef for almost five years now. So I followed them from Bandura to Cranbourne. Uh, Cranbourne, they're building this state-of-the-art facility for all their players and their athletes. They've got a men's team in the A-League, a women's team in the A-League women's. They've got a youth program. Uh, for the MPL and they've got an academy academies under 13s to under 21s oh, and they've got football schools for the little kids under fives to under 12s until they make their way into the academy and the academy is just a pathway pathway program to train kids to either push them into the A-League or push them over to Europe and get contracts there which happens sometimes um, so that why how that involves me is you know all these kids need adequate nutrition or uh, athletes you know and we're dealing from 
eight-year-olds to 34-year-olds. I think the oldest bloke on the list right now is 34 years old. So we, we, there's there's nutrition there to teach all of them and their understanding. A lot of athletes are trained to think that um, – carbs are bad <laughs> and they should only have protein, whether it's in a protein shake or loads of chicken, they have to have, have to have to have protein. It's their thing that they they're chasing, but then they speak to a dietitian or they speak to someone like me and who I understand because I spend a lot of time with dietitians now and I sort of speak a similar language to them. I'm not a trained dietitian, but I have spent a lot enough time with them to go to know what's happening. Um, and then we sort of figure things out from there and what's required that they, they the, the weekly menu gets the dictated what how many days you're away back from match day. So then the day before a match, they have to have spaghetti bolognese. It's especially at Melbourne City Football Club. They're very superstitious. You can't budge. You can't diverse from spaghetti bolognese. So, <laughs> which was a laugh. Um, I've managed to to maneuver in some fresh focaccia, which the boys love and girls love. And then we've got some ricotta gnocchi now that we do for them too. But then it's it's different, like the different budgets with different athletes for different football clubs lead us to different things. You know, we've dealt with Holston Football Club, Richmond Football Club, St Kilda Footy Club, and they all do different. And obviously, feeding men's athletes to women's athletes are two, two different kettles of fish. Normally, there's some more dietary requirements with the women's teams, what there is with the men's teams. But either way, you just figure things out and how to, you know. How to give them the adequate nutrition? And so, is this is this when they're um, training? Like, you know, they they do their training and then they come and sit down for a meal together. Like, what is when are you actually serving them this food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll do. They'll, I'll get sent their training programs for the week. So some days I'll do. They'll just train on the pitch. Other days I'll do training then gym. Other times I'll do analysis where they have to sit there in a dark room with the TV, massive TV screen on, and look at play by play from their previous game or their upcoming game or opposition stuff or whatever, whatever. And they go through it all. And, um, st- sometimes if the doors are cl- un- aren't closed, you hear the head, the head coach, I actually said, almost said head chef because the head chef is like a head coach where they just, um, say some words <laughs> to inspire and, uh, remind people what's happening, what's, what's happening in certain stages of the game. So, um, as a Carlton supporter, I really want to hear about what you do for Carlton Football Club, especially as we're sitting with, you know, four wins and, and one loss after five rounds, which is um, a very different position to be in. Is, is, it, is it you? Is it you? Is it, is it the special spag bowl recipe for Carlton? No, nah, look, when, when teams are going well, it's really easy to say, yeah, it must be what they're eating. However, when teams are going bad, it's also the same conversation. <laughs> so, we, you know, we're looking after the, the championship, the reigning defending champions of the A-League right now and, you know, as much as I can say it's all us, it's a it's a mixture of things mixture of things. So yeah, look, the baggers are doing real well and all sort of and they should all supporters should be really excited. Um look, I think it's got more to do with Michael Voss more than anything. The big thing biggest thing that impressed me, and I you know, I'm an AFL fan as much as I'm a sporting fan in general, but like the biggest thing that impressed me normally in like November when they come back from preseason. Normally, I think the one to four year players come back, and that's like a small group of like forty to fifty players. Maybe a couple of um, injured athletes are in there as well, just to to get themselves back into rehab earlier. Um, and then normally the oldies, the older players come back like twenty five plus. Normally come back like three four weeks later. Um, but because Michael Voss is a new coach, you want to impress the new coach, like you want to impress the new head chef when they start up. Um, they all got in first, you know, first session back. So the full squad was back. Everyone was in there. Um, everyone was keen. And it was, you know, it's, we don't serve um, at Icon Park because Icon Park has got some refurbishments going on. But we go in and we're talking, talking to, to the dietitians and the coaches and stuff probably weekly or fortnightly that we go and speak to everyone. 
and just double check everything's going through and, and everyone's happy. And if there's any tweaks and changes we need to make, and if there's certain athletes with certain nutrition requirements, if we need to check up on them and, and make sure they're all right. And um, how individualized are these programs? You know, like do individual athletes, are they allowed to put in different preferences? Um, you know, is it like the Australian Open where the meals can be really quite bespoke? Yeah, it is sometimes. And more, we don't, I don't really deal with prima donnas, <laughs> but I can see where it does happen. Um, at, look, I have a dietary list at, at my kitchen at Cranbourne and sometimes it gets long and other times, I don't know, I sort of put it up on the wall so all, everyone can see it. So players sort of get self-conscious when they start um, being difficult and if they're being difficult for a reason or if they're actually being difficult because they need to be. Because I don't mind if athletes that want to be pescatarian for 40 days before Easter, that's no issue at all. Or if they genuinely don't like uh, rare meat. Um but it's going to go up on the wall and then normally they conform to their teammates. <laughs> so it's a bit of a laugh to just, you know, point out, you know, it, then it's just, you know, the eating habits of understanding of, you know, what, what pe- people can and can't eat. If it's a genuine thing like Adam Saad being halal, that's totally fine. Like it's not the issue, but sometimes players will come in saying, oh, I'm vegan. And then the next week they're eating spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> It'd be interesting to take that approach with restaurant customers. If everyone had to have their dietaries, like as a label on the table, it'd be like, you know, I'm vegetarian, but I will eat duck. A bit of that would be quite interesting for people to take accountability for their uh preferences um so what's what's the satisfaction that you get out of this kind of work petros uh look it's a again it's a different world completely um when i've tried to so a few years ago i tried to only do adonis and not go back into the restaurants but you know the pandemic happened um look I tr- every time i try and get out of this bloody restaurant world danny i tried to get i just get dragged back in again so it's, but you know it comes down to what people you got around you so it's again the team at epoca are great angie and god known for forever angie i've known since i was an apprentice um so it's it's uh it's a really nice environment to be back and forth with and enjoy and to, you know get the best of both worlds i suppose sorry what was your question again no, that's, I mean, it's more like you spun it around because I was asking what the satisfaction was that you got out of the, the catering like for the, and looking after the sporting teams, but you spun it around to saying why you couldn't leave restaurants, which is actually a great answer. I suppose what I'm hearing from you is that these different worlds do draw you in different ways. Yeah. Look, the, the, the catering world for athletes is more about, it's my stamp towards, you know, athletes don't have to just eat sweet potato, brown rice and broccoli. They're so... The, the education around athletes in the dietitian realm, and it's not to no fault of dietitians entirely. It's sort of the inter health industry thing, and that's its own podcast. But um, they're not looked. Athletes aren't looked after in the way they should be. I feel so. Yeah, you got some vegan athletes, some pescatarian athletes, X Y Z, whatever, whatever. But the reality is, a lot of these athletes don't know enough about their own nutrition to what gets them the best. You know, we've seen I've seen athletes firsthand who eat properly. And don't, you know, and especially post Asada Essendon scandal here in Australia, football teams and, and sporting teams don't rely on protein powders and supplements as much anymore. Nowhere near to the level that they did 10, 15 years ago. So now nutrition is massive and they have to, um, they have to make sure clubs have to make sure what, what's being given to their players to their biggest assets on the field is proper and is looked after. And these, and these catering companies are looking after them. I'm not the only catering company in this realm. There's plenty of catering companies doing this stuff. Um, there's plenty of fans of clubs who are just doing, who are just fans of clubs, who own restaurants or, um, 
or food places and they just want to, you know, support their local team or their favorite team or their favorite player. But for us, it's, look, we're just make, trying to make sure that athletes don't you know, have a better understanding of food and nutrition. And that's sort of where we've lent in with the YouTube channel and what we do on um, creating recipes and stuff with our athletes and just showing them that they can eat you know, a more, a more diverse range of things to make them happier and not be stuck to the mundane approach of the same stuff over and over and over. Because chicken, brown rice and broccoli, let's be honest, gets really boring. So, <laughs> Well, I suppose it sounds like you're trying to inject, you know, this idea that food is about pleasure. Like it, it's not just functional. Yes, it has to perform its function in terms of nutrition and sustenance, but um, but how much better is life when you, when you can enjoy your food as well? Yeah. How much better is life if you can have, you know, lamb shoulder from, you know, Tasmania? How much better is life if you can have roast beef with um, or a chicken parmigiana with, uh, with a high-protein cheese on top and crumbed in pumpkin seeds instead of panko breadcrumbs and pan fried? You know what I mean? So it's like it's all these like little nuances that I've just changed. And a lot of the things that we've that we've got on our menus now that have become staples, uh, me just talking to athletes and saying, what do you actually want to eat? And then one of them, you know, that, the chicken parmigiana thing, that's where it started from. Like, oh, I really love eating chicken parmigianas. But like, you're never going to eat that because your dietitian and your head and your head coach are going to cut your feet off <laughs> if you try and eat those things all the time. And so that's where we started playing around with, right, what can we crumb a chicken breast in to make it higher in protein? Um, we're definitely not going to deep fry it. Let's hook up with Pumpkin Seeds Australia out, out in ovens and use their pumpkin seeds and coat pumpkin seeds over some chicken breasts. Let's do what cheese can we use? Parmesan cheese isn't the worst cheese in the world, but there's better, higher protein cheeses. So that's where we hook up with that's some water cheese and the, the buffalo mozzarella leaf is really nice to use as well. So as much as all these things just sound like plugs <laughs> to companies I deal with, but that's the reality of what I try and bring everyone close to me together. And that's why I heavily rely on all my suppliers and farmers and everyone who, who we deal with. I try and bring them in and do as much as we can with them and sort of keep everyone involved. Yeah, it's so interesting because, I mean, I feel like it's an education piece where, I mean, you, you're sort of creating better eaters in general and and you're also, I suppose, that, that you're turning them into people who might actually appreciate a restaurant like Epoca a bit more, perhaps, you know, they wouldn't have um, thought that that was a place that they could go. I'd love you to talk about the way that you're bringing education into your role as head chef of Epoca, um, like an inner city restaurant, beautiful building, you know, such an incredibly heartfelt sense of hospitality from owner Annie Janikadakis. Um, like tell me about the way you train your the chefs that work with you in the kitchen and, and what you think is perhaps important to show them that is is perhaps being a little bit uh, left out of some of the industry practices these days. Uh, I don't think I've got a foolproof method that works for everyone, Danny. But the reality is, how the best ways I've been trained over the years is with um, the intent towards what's happening. Um, what's happening around you and how, because every kitchen's different and every kitchen dances its own dance. So it's understanding the dance as soon as you get in there. So when you're, when you're a new staff member who comes into, into our kitchens, you um, look, it's I'm more about the, the things that have to be done every day is understanding what's, you know, your familiarity towards your setup, you know, your chopping boards are in the right spot. You're not, your knives are close by your salt set up, your spoon, tasting spoons are set up and it's just going from there. So your, your, your section's always set up, no matter what. I always deal in worst-case scenario situations, and it's more from – I'm more of a momentum build mentality from the day before into the next day. So, you know, are we, we're going to have lamb or beef in the oven overnight, so we walk in the next day, we make sure, you know, our lamb and beef is sorted for, the next, for that day because it's already in the oven. 
if we forget it, it means there's no lamb and beef the next day. So it's, it's more of an understanding of how each job affects the next one. Um, you know, we sort out all the ordering first thing in the morning when it comes in, veg order, beef order, meat order, fish order, whatever. Sort all these things out. You're dealing with all these little farmers. You spend a couple of minutes talking to these farmers every time they walk in because they're, you know, trying to have a bit of a laugh with them, trying to give them a, a reprieve for a couple of minutes before they get back out on the road. And, you know, just have a bit of jovial fun with them. And then, you know, it's just, you know, working against the prep list and saying, right, we need to do this. And we've got, we're always limited with time. We're always, you know, chasing our tails somehow. So at least if we, if there's more time than other days to do certain, understand better systems and, and requirements towards the day to day, then we take the time. Other times, let's be honest, we're always chasing our tail, as I said. So it's a more of a matter of, right, we're going to do this job. We're going to do it together. This is how I'm going to teach you. This, then you're going to show me and then you're going to show me again and then I'm going to leave you alone and I'm going to come back in five minutes and check on you again. And then that's sort of how it's been done to me over the years and I sort of I feel is, you know, you're not getting things thrown at you, you're not getting yelled at, you're not getting abused <laughs> and none of that stuff's going on. You know, I didn't enjoy it as an apprentice, therefore why would I teach it to someone else, teach that way to someone else? Because whatever we're teaching now, someone else is going to be teaching an, an evolution or an ad- adaptation of this idea of in the next five to 10 years or 20 years or whatever. So it's, you know, it's teaching these habits now of saying, right, we're going to do this this way and show me your way if you have another way of looking at it because there's nothing set in concrete. Like as long as we get to the finish line, I'm more than happy to adjust how you do it if it makes you feel good and if it feels good to you, instead of being a drill sergeant and saying, right, this way and this way only, do not, do not digress from this way. You know, I don't, I don't think that's sustainable. You know, you'll never be able to take a day off if that, if under that mentality or you never allow, allow staff to have to be, not be scared to speak up or to have creativity or to build their own, um, their own world of, you know, what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And what do you feel are the biggest issues that you're seeing in the industry from your perspective? Uh, look, tr- probably not enough time. Look, even when I was an apprentice, I didn't feel as if um, our big training organisations were spending enough time with us and doing teaching us everything. But that goes back to high school, let alone trade school. So, you know, it's all the more reason. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is the answer, Danny, but I think it's all the more reason to work in good places with good people who will nurture you and guide you towards making your own mind up to what you want to do in this caper because there's so many things to do. There's so many beautiful, amazing things and ways to reach different people in your own way that makes you happy. So the training modules, as good or bad as they are, but whatever they are, isn't it's it needs you know it needs to be paramount to the the venue that you're in because every training model is going to be different. So, look at to more to more to answer your question instead of giving you a roundabout answer. There's a lot there's a lot of things going wrong in the industry on how to train staff and how to nurture staff and how to build staff into what you know into having their own restaurants having their own businesses. It's more to do with um you know spending time. I, I honestly look at head coaches in football teams to being very similar to our job, to a head chef's job, because it's, you have to nurture, you have to spread your time around X amount of athletes or X amount of staff. You have to teach them your way that your, which is your experienced way of understanding of your, you know, I've got a very obsessive personality where I, you know, obsess about something to no end and I make sure in my mind that it's 
uh, you know, did, did I consider this part, this part, this part, and that part, and why did it end up that way? And then I try and troubleshoot my own ideas, and then I handball to someone else, and then I'll see what problems they come up with. In and it, this could be something as simple as a, a souffle, or it can be something as simple as a jus that's been on the stove for three days. So it's all you know. There's there's that line where you got to the line you got to get to, and especially that's the line we dance at a poker. There's a, the line you dance where you say, right, what to what stage where you say, we're going to produce this and make this with our own two hands. And that's our story about it. And that's our journey towards when do you pull, get it made out of a box and you just open it up. You know what I mean? Cause no pasta making is probably the biggest thing that we teach because pasta making out of a packet isn't nowhere near. It's good. It sustains. Like I'm, there's nothing wrong with packet pasta. There's a lot better packet pastas out there than what there was 20 years ago. But what I'm getting at is there's nothing better than handmade caramelle. There's nothing better than handmade pitchy. You know, like there's no, you know, to produce raviolis and stuff with your, your own two fingers, with your own fingers and your own hands is a lot. It's a more of a personal thing for me to say to my staff to put onto a plate with love and care and to serve it to a beautiful dining room that's a hundred plus years old and to have industry heavyweights like Angie and Guy um, doing their thing on their side and matching it with wine and, and beverage and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, so much in what you've just said. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is that people really need to, I mean, take what's given and you're giving people an amazing experience and, you know, the pastor is not just the pastor. The pastor is a way of you know, learning that you can learn or, or realising that skills are important or realising that there are lots of ways to connect with the dining room through through food and through the um, the intention and the artistry with which you put something on a plate. Um, but it also sounds like you're saying, you know, people may not always have that experience. They may not always have that sort of int- uh, attention and training, but that they need to, I guess, stick their head up above the parapet and just sort of see what else is out there. Like whether that means, you know, leaving one job for another one where you're getting more nurturing or perhaps a kinder environment, or just really thinking about all these various pathways that are open to people working in hospitality. Am I sort of summarizing it somewhat <laughs> fairly? Yeah, without all my swings and roundabouts, yeah. <laughs> Look, for me, Epoca is that first place in my career where I've been pushed by the other side of the pass, in this case, Angie and Guy, to do to really wine match food. I've never worked in a vineyard. I've never worked at a winery. I've always worked in a place where I've worked for, for – I've always worked at restaurants where the, the, it's a chef owner and not a front of house owner. So that's a massive dynamic for me to learn and understand and say, right – um, we, you know, for example, perfect example, next week we're doing these Naosa wine dinners. Naosa wine is a wine company out of Greece. Um, they work with Angie over the last 15 plus years to get Greek wines into Australia. So that we're doing three events over the next couple of weeks or five events, I think over the next couple of weeks where we do specific wines. Angie's going to pour like eight wines for each, call, each uh, dinner. So she's at the start she was barreling and now it's a conversation <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting conversation was what these what certain foods go with certain wines and what ingredients i have to stay away from and what ingredients i can really use so is it's, it's you know it's great to run this autumn winter hybrid thing right now in melbourne but the you know she's saying she was saying to me the other day like you really need to use chestnuts you have to use cherry tomatoes you have to use eggplant or brassicas duck lamb beef don't really touch citrus. 
I'm like, you want me to do Greek dinners, Greek wine dinners, and I'm not going to use citrus. So she's like, don't touch citrus. And then you start tasting the wine. You understand like, okay, that's why I can't use citrus. I can't finish things with lemon and orange, orange or lime or zest because it will totally throw out what's going on with the wines, all eight wines that she's going to serve on the night. <laughs> so that educational component is her, you know, again, you find yourself in the right environment where people can excel you and push you to being a better version of yourself or better than what you were when you walked in. So it's, you know, Angie and Guy do that for me. And I hope we do that for our staff. So that's where it comes down to us doing that constantly. So day to day, it's 365 days of the year. Like we're not, we don't take a break from this mentality. This is a daily mentality. That's so inspiring though, Petros, that, you know, you know, your stage in your career, like you're so accomplished, but you're still being pushed and you're still learning. That's really amazing. Yeah. Look, I, look, I persist that I don't need to be at restaurants. I, pers- I resisted to be away from restaurants when I started Adonis Catering. I started Adonis Catering, Danny, five years ago so I could be at home. I could create a family life for myself and have a family. But as I said, <laughs> the more I try and get out, the more they drag me back in. <laughs> so, you know, when you've got a good environment to be in, it's hard to stay out of it. Now, you can minimize the hours that you do at certain places in your, in your grand scheme of your week. You know, do I need to be doing a catering company in a restaurant? Probably not. But I get a lot of enjoyment out of both of them, and it's loads of fun. And it's a different world. And if I was doing neither of those things or just one of them, I'd be longing for that interaction or that mentality or that mindset of what I'm missing. So it's, you know, just, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to do 70, 80 hours a week. I'm not saying it's easy to miss my daughter growing up a little bit or just time with my wife or, or I involve them as much as I can, wherever I can. And, you know, they enjoy it too. <laughs> I think they're top of the <laughs> Just finally, Petros, like to, for any um, people coming up in the industry, listening to this, what would your advice be? Um, <laughs> that's a weird one. Um, look, that could be for a long, long time. I said as an apprentice, I remember hearing a quote of like, sacrifice, sacrifice yourself to loneliness, fear nothing and work hard. Now that's, that's, that was good for a stage of my life. A, a big stage of my career. I, I so went towards that. And I was chasing it and I always wanted it. Um, but then I found love. <laughs> so, you know, I've got a wife now. We've got a kid. It's life's good. Life's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard come in and out of pandemics. Business is business as it is, but it's, you know, you, you just got to lean towards your network, the network that you've built yourself with all these people, whether it be through cooking competitions or, restaurants or places you've worked at or places you've just admired and you've just spoke to the staff afterwards and and really enjoyed what they did. Um, Just find enjoyment in what you do and you can't relate our industry to, I don't know, the corporate world. You know, we're not not nine to fivers in this world. We try to be, there's an aspect of that allow that tries us, that tries to to veer us towards it, but we're not nine to fivers where, you know, 10 to 12ers, <laughs> 10 to midnighters sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do 80 hours a week to be successful, but you know, you have to, you have to work hard and you have to pick your battles. So, you know, just, uh, yeah. I love it, Petros. Um, so inspiring and yeah, fascinating to get an insight into 
your background and the way that you work and, and what keeps you going. Um, really appreciate your time and your insights on the podcast today. It's great to have you on Dirty Linen. Thank you for doing these podcasts. It's been great. It's great to listen to. All right. <laughs> Bye. Go Blues. Yeah, the Blues. Thanks. <laughs> This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.